What's up everybody? It's Pastor James. Welcome back to the Midweek Bible Study. Today we're going to be finishing up chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians. And remember that at the beginning of this chapter, um, Paul sends his personal greeting, which is very standard. He also offers uh, comfort to the church in Corinth, which is important to know. Um, you know, we said in our introduction to this uh, book, before we started chapter 1, that Paul had been viciously attacked by a false teacher and there uh, were some other followers who had kind of participated in that, and he wasn't defended by the other believers who were present in the situation. So after leaving, uh, Paul sends a very difficult letter, kind of known as the painful letter or the letter of tears. Um, and so once most of those people had repented, Paul's now sending them comfort, and he's telling them about how much they had suffered for the gospel and that their suffering was to benefit even the Corinthian churches. And so today, as we read this last half, Paul is going to continue to encourage this church, but he's also going to be speaking truth to them about you know the situation that still needs a little working on. Okay, Everything's kind of being resolved, but it isn't finished yet. There's still some things that need to be hammered out. So let's read this together, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 12-14, as Paul begins to talk about his change of plans. The Word says, We can say with confidence and a clear conscience that we have lived with a God-given holiness and sincerity in all our dealings. We have depended on God's grace, not our own human wisdom. That is how we have conducted ourselves before the world, and especially towards you. Our letters have been straightforward, and there is nothing written between the lines, and nothing you can't understand. I hope someday you will fully understand us, even if you don't understand us now. Then on the day when the Lord Jesus returns, you will be proud of us in the same way we are proud of you. Since I was so sure of your understanding and trust, I wanted to give you a double blessing by visiting you twice— first on my way to Macedonia, and again when I returned from Macedonia. Then you could send me on my way to Judea. You may be asking why I changed my plan. Do you think I make plans carelessly? Do you think I am like people of the world who say yes when they really mean no? And as surely as God is faithful, our word to you does not waver between yes and no. For Jesus Christ, the Son of God, does not waver between yes and no. He is the one whom Silas, Timothy, and I preach to you. And as God's ultimate yes, he always does what he says. For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. And through Christ our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for His glory. It is God who enables us along with you to stand firm for Christ. He has commissioned us and He has identified us as His own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees everything He has promised. Now I call upon God as my witness that I am telling the truth. The reason I didn't return to Corinth was to spare you from a severe rebuke. But that does not mean we want to dominate you by telling you how to put your faith into practice. We want to work together with you so you will be full of joy, for it is by your own faith that you stand firm. All right. So, Paul starts out uh, the second half of this uh, letter, or this chapter, I'm sorry, uh, 
testifying that he and his companions in ministry have lived in holiness to the best of their abilities. Now, it's important to note that it's not under their own power or ability, but it's God-given, and Paul talks about having a clear conscience. Now, I don't know about any of you guys, but if there's ever been a time where you felt guilty in your life and you haven't had a clear conscience, it's a pretty stressful, um, terrible place to be. Having a clear conscience is a wonderful thing. Um, it's wonderful to be able to lay your head down at nighttime and sleep with a clear conscience and to function and live daily and to be able to speak the name of Jesus and pray and go to church and read your Bible without feeling guilt. That's a wonderful thing. And so Paul talks about having a clear conscience. Now, the reason why he's kind of mentioning this is because Paul has been accused by this uh, false teacher that is remaining and some of the some a small group of people who's still following this false teacher, they have accused Paul of being weak and timid and unreliable because he didn't come and visit them uh, the second time as he said he would. So this is why Paul starts off with talking about um, living in holiness and having a clear conscience. Now, um, Corinth, you know, like we said, had its fair share of false teachers who were manipulative and and they were fickle people. Uh, they were in it for the money. They were in it to get the rights of the apostles. You know, in 1 Corinthians, we talked a lot about the rights of the apostles and how Paul never claimed any of those rights. And so the people, um, because they had experienced so many people claiming to be apostles, claiming to have rights as apostles, and um, they had so many people in their own church who were trying to elevate themselves above one another, you know, it kind of became this um, way and this platform of people rising above one another and using positions of manip manipulation. So, um, they probably, the people of the churches probably just assumed that when Paul didn't show up after he said he would visit, that he was just maybe similar to what they had experienced with other people. Um, again, this church is struggling a great deal with people who seem to be in Christianity and seem to be in ministry for personal gain. And so, um, as the false teachers are trying to lead people away from the true gospel and they're trying to lead people away from following Paul, um, people are trying to elevate themselves above one another. You know, they're probably looking at Paul and it's hard to trust people in ministry. I'm sure there's some of you who are listening to this podcast right now that in some way, shape, or form, you have been hurt or, um, you have seen a spiritual leader fail in some way. You have personally been affected by that. And because of that, it makes it more difficult for you to trust um, any kind of spiritual leader. Pastors, youth pastors, worship leaders, missionaries, even just someone who might claim to be a Christian. It might make that difficult for you to trust in them. But I just want to encourage you guys and understand that you know, there's a lot of sin in the world. There's a lot of people who are selfish and in it for themselves. But never forget that there are people out there who are very genuine in their walk with Christ. Um, they're few and far between. I, I truly believe that. Um, like Jesus said, the uh, the road to hell is broad and the gate is wide, and many will go through it. But the the road to heaven is uh, is narrow. 
and and the gate is small and very few will enter and i believe in that wholeheartedly like there are very few people who are truly in it to honor christ and glorify him and so um you know be weary of that but at the same time don't shut every single person you ever encounter out because you've been hurt once or maybe you've even been hurt a couple of times um don't shut those people out you know know that there are people out there who genuinely love god they were trying to serve him and paul has kind of fallen victim to this a little bit where he really has the best of intentions for these people in corinth but these people have been swayed and manipulated significantly and paul is having to defend his apostleship so much with this church um as well as making sure that they know he's never claimed anything to uh he's never tried to receive anything uh from being an apostle he's never claimed any of his rights and so paul's still battling this and this is kind of one of those things that are still being hammered out in this letter now in verse 13 paul begins to talk about how their letter is straightforward there's no hidden messages there's nothing written between the lines there's no hidden meaning um Paul isn't trying to play games or beat around the bush with these people. He says what he means, and he means what he says. And this is hard for many people to understand. You know, like a while ago, I just said that, you know, there probably aren't that many people who are in Christianity because they love Christ and they want to sacrifice their life and glorify Him. In the same way, it's really hard for a lot of people to understand that there are some people out there who say what they mean and mean what they say. Most people, most people will say one thing even though they may not mean it or they're meaning something else because a lot of people just don't want to deal with the consequences of speaking truth. Maybe we want to avoid confrontation. You know, there's all kinds of different reasons for that. But a lot of times people don't always mean what they say. And because of that, they assume that others don't as well. But Paul is assuring that his readers, all right, these people, that he's an open book. He has nothing to hide. He has no agendas. Um, he doesn't intend on doing anything other than spread the good news about Jesus Christ. Now, Paul wants them to understand him, and he wants them to understand his companions in ministry as well. And, and he talks about that. You know, he, it's not only that uh, Paul wants them to know that he's speaking truth and that he's very much a man of his word. But he also wants these people to understand him and his partners in ministry. And his hope is that one day the churches in Corinth will fully understand him um, and on the day of judgment would even be proud of Paul and his companions, uh, just as Paul and his companions are proud of the Christians in Corinth. Now, that's saying a lot considering all that's happened between Paul and these Corinthians. You know, they haven't had the the most... um, fluid relationship you know it's it it hasn't it's been pretty rough and rocky and paul is saying that hey look i hope that on judgment day that you are as proud of us as we are of you and it's really important to understand that paul is not holding grudges but paul wants reconciliation between the corinthians and himself and he especially wants reconciliation between the corinthians and god he wants them to repent Even the man that attacked him viciously, Paul wants him to be restored back to Christ. And that's important to remember. When you think about Paul, a lot of times he seems very hard, uh, hard hard-nosed, 
very stern, might seem like a pretty difficult person to get along with, but in the midst of it, Paul is very loving, he's very forgiving, and he wants everyone to be united in Christ, and he's always focused on the end game, judgment day. What will happen when we all stand before God? Will we hold hands and and love one another and, and be confident in what we have done? Or will we still have animosity between us? Or you understand what I'm saying? It's kind of one of those things where Paul Paul wants these people to be proud of him, but he also wants to be proud of these people. And he is proud of the Christians in Corinth, and he wants to communicate that to them significantly. Now, um, Paul is all about sacrifice. He's all about serving God. He's all about building the kingdom of God. So anyone who is willing to sacrifice and suffer for the name of Jesus, uh, Paul is going to be very proud of. And Paul talked in the beginning of this chapter about how much they had suffered in the name of Christ and how that was for the benefit of the Corinthians. Now, um, in verse 15, Paul starts talking a little bit about the accusations of his weakness, unreliability, untrustworthiness, and things like that. And so... The false teachers and people who still oppose Paul, uh, they were all over him. I mean, they were riding him hard, trying to discredit him in any way possible uh, so that they could get the full support of the people in these churches. But Paul had planned on two visits with the Corinthians, and and we'll, we'll go into a little more detail about that now. Now, remember in the introduction, we talked about this, on his way to Macedonia, he had planned on visiting them once on the way, uh, and he decided to stop on the way because they were dealing with some sinful stuff, and these false teachers had kind of popped up, and there was a lot going on. So Paul said, I'm going to stop on the way, and I'm going to stop on the way back um, on his return. But the first visit was so painful and confrontational. Now, this is when Paul is attacked viciously that on his way back from Macedonia, Paul decided not to return to Corinth and visit those churches because <clears throat> he he did not want to have another time of confrontation because he was afraid that it would cause more harm than good and he's a he's he fears that his rebuke would be more painful than it needs to be and we'll talk about that again in a second but um Paul just he it's kind of a form of restraint his his Deciding not to visit a second time was restraining himself from doing or saying something that he would regret, or maybe he wouldn't necessarily handle it the right way. But because of the accusations that that Paul begins talking in verse 17 about why he changed his plans, and he explains that because these people were just trying to discredit Paul and just making these baseless accusations. So Paul is, is confronting this, and he's saying, look, I'm not careless. Um, Paul is one of the most thought-out, meticulous people you'll probably ever be able to have met in your life. And he isn't the type of guy that just wings it. Okay, The man traveled over 10,000 miles in the ancient world. He started hundreds of churches, ministered to thousands of people. He ministered on three different continents. Paul is not just someone who just makes it up as he goes along. The man is thought out. The man is prepared. The man is prayed up. The man is filled with the Holy Spirit. The man has a purpose and a calling 
given specifically from God that he is on a mission to accomplish, and he's willing to sacrifice his very life in order to see that done. Now, Paul does not waver between yes and no, and he uses God as his example of not wavering between yes and no, and how Jesus himself was God's absolute yes to everything that God had ever promised was fulfilled through Jesus Christ. And so when you look at Jesus... Jesus is not a name that translates to no, but it's a name that translates to yes, because everything that God wanted to accomplish, did he accomplish it? Yes. How did he accomplish it? He accomplished it through Jesus. So Jesus is God's ultimate yes. And he lives by his yes. Paul is saying that he lives by his yes. And his yes means yes, and his no means no. And Paul talks about the word amen. So you see amen appear a lot through the Bible. You hear a lot of people in churches and uh, Christians who will shout amen. What does that mean? It simply means yes. It, It means agreement. It means let it be. That, that is truth. And so the word amen actually means yes. And so when Paul's talking about this, he does not believe that someone could follow Christ who is as unreliable and untrustworthy as they are claiming Paul is. Paul is stating that to, to follow Christ and to be affected by that same Christ uh, would almost... Uh, make it impossible for you to be unreliable and untrustworthy. The the fact that you are a follower of Christ and that your your relationship with Him should be so significantly um, impacted by Christ that it would cause your yes to be yes and your no to be no and you to be a person of your word and that you would be reliable and trustworthy. Now, it's important to know that Paul doesn't take credit for this, okay? This is not his ability to be reliable and trustworthy, but he gives that credit to God because it's being affected by Christ which causes him to be this way. And Paul also communicates that the Corinthians are able to do this same thing because Christ also enables them as well. So Paul speaks of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, this is really important because, you know, we talk about the Holy Spirit a lot. But, guys, you you need to understand today that the Holy Spirit is something that you should daily pray and ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit. Because as Paul talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit, there are three things that the Holy Spirit did in Paul's explanation upon its filling. First... As Paul is filled with the Holy Spirit, Paul is commissioned, okay? Um, this means that he's recruited, he's called, that that he is pl- that the Holy Spirit is placed in their lives, and now these people have a calling on their life that the Holy Spirit has commissioned them to do. The second thing is, is that the Holy Spirit identified them. Paul talks about him and his companions being identified. And identification is so very important as believers because the Holy Spirit gives us identity as God's children, but it also um, gives us identity as His chosen vessels to accomplish His work. It identifies us as being the ones who are able to do that. Now, the third thing that Paul writes about is the guarantee. Once they are filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is a guarantee. And so looking at it from a biblical standpoint, 
uh, during this time, a guarantee was kind of a down payment. Like if you make a down payment, you're guaranteeing that you're coming back to get something or that you're taking responsibility and that this is yours, that you're investing in it. You're putting skin in the game. Well, the Holy Spirit is God's guarantee that you have been claimed. That And it not only claims you, it not only guarantees that you belong to God, but it also guarantees you that you are able to do all the things that God has called you to do. Um, it gives us assurance that we belong to Christ to be filled with the Spirit. It gives us the ability to accomplish the task and the callings. It reminds us of everything that God has promised. And so as a believer and you're sitting here today, you need to understand God has promised many, many, many things to us as Christians in general, but also as individuals. Now, as a believer, we step out on faith to believe in God, even though we have not seen a lot of those promises come to fruition yet. And so as you're listening to this today, you may have witnessed some promises being answered by God, and you may be very thankful for them. At the same time, you may be listening to this, and you may be waiting on God to fulfill promises, and you haven't experienced those promises being fulfilled yet. The Holy Spirit is a guarantee that those promises will be fulfilled, and they give us the ability to patiently wait and endure anything going on in our life, and it helps us to keep faith to see those promises answered by God according to His will and His timing. It reminds us of all these things to help us patiently wait and endure so that God's kingdom and purpose will be fulfilled and will be brought to fruition. Now, in finishing up this chapter, you look at verses 23 through 24, Paul takes an oath that the reason he did not return to Corinth for the second visit was because he didn't want to rebuke them so severely. Now, these false teachers and people who opposed him just assumed that he didn't come out of selfishness or weakness. And once again, Paul's concern was not for himself, but it was for the people. He did not desire to shame them or come down on them harshly. And Paul acknowledged in verse 24 that he did not have dominion over their faith and how to put their faith in practice. And that's, guys, that's really, really important. Um, You know... I don't know how many of you that are listening to this podcast attend Graham Chapel or call Graham Chapel your, your home, or maybe you have your own home church, but when you look at your pastor or your church staff or you know maybe a teacher, a small group leader, um, whatever, if Paul is speaking clearly to these Corinthians and he's saying, look, I don't have dominion over your spiritual life for you to put your faith into practice then you need to understand that that basically no one exists in this world right now who has dominion over your spiritual life. And you need to understand that significantly because there are going to be people who try to guilt you into doing things, force you into doing stuff, and it does whether it's your spouse or your parents or um, you know whatever it may be. Um, People who try to guilt you and force you into doing things are not of God. But people like Paul who acknowledges, I can't make you do this. 
I want you to do this. I believe that you would benefit from doing this. I believe that God would bless you for doing this, but I can't make you do it. Those are the people that you need to be listening to. A true believer in Christ, a true person who has been called by God, is going to simply present truth to you and then allow you to make the decision for yourself. Um, Paul's concern was always for the people. All right, um, he does not have dominion over them. He can't force them to do anything. And once again, in this statement, you see Paul's heart to help them along and to work with them in serving God. And Paul wrote and talked about how he wanted to work with them. He and his companions wanted to work with the Corinthians so that they would be all be filled with joy. And Paul assures them that they must have their own faith in order to stand firm. And that's important, guys. You need to understand today that if you are forced to do anything for Jesus, then you're not doing it by faith, and it's useless. And if you are trying to force your your spouses or your children or anybody in your life, if you're trying to force them to do anything, then it's not for Jesus and it's useless anyway. And really, it's going to do more harm than good because they're never going to know or understand whether or not they're doing it because they love Jesus or they're doing it because they're being made to do it. And that's really important. Paul is communicating this. He wants to work with them. He doesn't want them to force them to repentance. He doesn't want to rebuke them harshly because it's the right thing to do and they need to do it. No, he, he is purposefully taking a step back and encouraging them, trying to get them to do what's right because they want to and they know that it's right because in order for their faith to stand firm, they have to operate underneath their own faith and not by the force of someone else. Working together to see the kingdom of God being built is the calling on every Christian life. If you're listening to this today and you claim to be a follower of Christ, you are supposed to be working together with other Christians to see the kingdom of God being built. That's the calling that's on your life. Are you doing that today? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this beautiful day, for the opportunity to be together, to worship you, to praise you. God, I pray that you speak into our hearts and lives. Help us to learn and grow with you as we read your word. Help us to seek your face in all that we do. Help us to encourage others to follow you, to submit to you, to love you, and to serve. Lord, remind us that we can't force anyone to love you. It has to be something that they realize on their own. Help us to just encourage and to be there and lovingly guide them, just as Paul did to this church. We love you and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys, thanks for tuning in for another week. We love you. We're praying for you. If you can't join us on campus this Sunday, we encourage you to listen in on Facebook, YouTube, or podcasts. We love you. We're praying for you. Have a great week.